Um, we were in the series, it's the final week of the series called Love Where You Live. It's been a great series. People have been wrestling with really great and troubling things about where they live and their neighbors and all kinds of stuff. It's been very cool to hear some of that. Not too long ago, there was a group of pastors actually, in, I think it was in Denver, who came to the, uh, the mayor of Denver and said, hey, what's like, what's like the one thing you need the, the, from the churches, you know, to do? And the mayor said, well, I need, you know, quite honestly, I, I, we really need, the, the city needs great neighborhoods. And he goes, the, the best way to build great neighborhoods is with great neighbors. And he goes, you know, the, the, I think that the, church, the pastors were expecting something different, a little bit more specific. He just goes, build great neighborhoods. And he goes, quite honestly, the, the, the churches, haven't, churches don't have a good reputation of building great neighborhoods. They have a good reputation of, like, isolating themselves and forming their own little communities, but they don't do a great job of forming neighborhoods that are really healthy. Because when neighborhoods are great, when neighbors are great, property values go up, crime levels go down, at-risk behavior by, you know, by teenagers goes down. I mean, it's all kinds of things that sort of happen when, when great neighborhoods happen. And so we thought, you know, their, their, basic, their basic impetus is let's just go out and let's make great neighborhoods. And that's the same thing we got going for us. So excited about what's happening as we start thinking about what could the church do or be when it comes to being a great neighbor. So for the past couple of weeks, we've kind of used this as sort of our focal point of where we've kind of been. That this is a scripture that comes out of Jeremiah where um, God's people are held captive. They're wondering what they should do. They're kind of asking, seeking Jeremiah, who's a prophet. They're kind of going, what's God saying we should do? Should we fight? Should we do whatever? And Jeremiah says this, seek the peace and prosperity of the city into which I've carried you into exile. I mean, these people are captured. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And it goes on to say, you know, hey, have kids and build families and make your home there because this is what God has placed you for a reason that it might succeed so you might succeed. And so Really, this whole impetus is about how do we make the city in which we live in prosper? How do we do that? So, very excited about today. Today's going to be a great day. We're going to talk about some of the ways we're about doing that, particularly in the margins of society, people that often get forgotten or lost or left alone or abandoned, or who, whom are just simply deemed unworthy to be helped or to serve. So we're going to talk about that. It is going to be a very good weekend. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, as we gather, we're grateful that you have unleashed in us... Um, a generosity to us. You have given to us, your, out of your own great generosity, a great sacrifice. Father, we, um, we pray that today would be a day of hope and of joy. That in the midst of real life, that all of the joy and hope would, that you had, had promised and, and given to us would be made real to us. Father, we know that in this room there are circumstances which would rob us of joy. There are angers, there are bitternesses, there are disappointments, there are bad diagnoses, there are poor job outlooks. There are all those kinds of things that would rob us of joy. And yet, Father, we know you are capable of working in and through that and beyond that, beyond circumstances, beyond what we deem to be hopeless. You grant to us hope and joy. And so, Father, as we consider all of what it might look like to be more generous today in a really radical and super exciting way with all kinds of joy, would you first minister to us Wherever it is we feel our own poverty, our own loneliness, our own, our own fear, our own doubt, whatever it is, Jesus, would you minister to us through the power of your Holy Spirit? Would he speak to us and minister to us just in a moment of stillness? Jesus, might there be a resurgence of joy in us and through us today. Might we get excited about the things that get you excited. Might we take seriously the call you've put on our lives to live in this community in such a way that it might be changed, prospering, 
benefiting. So we pray for it. We pray for ourselves, Jesus, that you might meet us here and challenge us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, now, if you've got an outline or if you've got a bulletin in your, out, in your bulletin, there's a little outline. You can pull that out if you want to follow along. We'll be in Luke chapter 10 mostly. But pull that out. You can follow along. We'll be kind of, uh, but, but before I should tell you this, as you're doing that, I should warn you. This is uh, an uncomfortable message. It is a pass. The passage of scripture we're talking about is going to put you, put you in a place where you're going to go, well, I just, I wasn't sure I really wanted that. You know, I got an extra hour of sleep. I'm kind of comfortable, and now you're doing all this challenging stuff. I'm not sure I want that. I, I wanted just to kind of have a bland, challengeless message, and then I could go get brunch and not worry about it and watch. Well, I realize that that's where maybe some of you, I just want to let you know, we kind of are okay with challenging people pretty much week to week, but this one's going to get at you. I mean, some of you are going to be like, ah, you know, maybe I should go get my kids out of the childcare. This is kind of a weird deal. You know, I don't know. I, I, just, I think they're calling us. I, I don't see the code up there, but I think they're calling us. We should go check on them. You know, I know I get it. Because the most dangerous thing is going to happen today. When we talk about the poor, we talk about the marginalized in society, I'm going to not only ask you to move towards them in a courageous way, but I'm going to do probably, I'm going to ask you to do the most courageous thing that could ever happen to someone in a church, which is for them to really wrestle with their money. <laughs> so you're like, you brought your friends, you're like, oh gosh, don't say the word money, don't say the word money in church, whatever you do. I know I just said it, I've said it a couple times now. I'm going to tell you about some of the ways you can unleash some generosity in these ways, which means it will require some of you to kind of wrestle with some money issues. But we're going to do some stuff also that's really fun. I'm really excited about it, which is this. We're going to do something very, very old school here today, which some of you are going to be like, well, I remember we used to do that a long time ago. We're also going to do something very new school, so we're going to kind of bridge the gap there. You're also going to get a chance to hear from Maher, who is our outreach, uh, he directs our whole outreach ministry, and Maher is awesome. And in case you're, I'm not saying my hair, I'm talking about a guy whose name is Ma, M-A-H-E-R, Maher, Maher. And um, he's going to come up and literally, the joke we always say is, my hair's on fire. And you're like, my hair is on fire. And my hair is on fire today. It's unbelievable. So just want to let you know, I'm just a prelude to my hair. Not my hair, my hair. Okay, you guys with me? Okay, I'm just a prelude because his stuff, the, the stuff that God's put on his heart to share with you guys is going to blow you away, I promise you. Just get ready for that. So I'm just the opening act. Now, just to kind of back up a little bit. The reason why God, among other reasons, but one of the reasons why God blessed his people, these people who come from this guy Abraham or Abram, is for a particular purpose. It wasn't just to bless them because he loved them. Well, that's true. But there's a reason why he did that. That God said, I'm going to bless the whole world and it will come through these people, the Israelites, that they would bless everybody else. It's not just something they would receive blessing and kind of go, isn't that wonderful? I've now received blessing. I'm done. My, everything's good. I'm done now with my job. No, no, what God said is, I've given you this blessing that you might bless the whole world. Now, the, the question is, how do we do it? What does that look like? Who gets to receive blessing? Who doesn't get to receive blessing? And fundamentally, there's a question that sets it all up for everybody who's trying to figure out how to walk with Jesus and all kinds of stuff, that most of us, if, I, if, I would, if, I was, I mean, if we're pretty honest, most of us get this question wrong because we think about it in these terms. Let me give you a sense of what I mean. How many of you got, well, let's do it this way. What are some things you have to do that you try to get out of every week, all the time. What's reading? Someone said reading. Yeah, that scourge of society. Teachers making us read. High school students don't like reading. I don't know what's next, you know. Okay, good. What else? Work. I just don't want to work. I just really, if I could, God has given me a great gift, and that would be that I should never have to work. That's what I really am trying to get out of. Yeah, what else? Cleaning. Did both of you guys say that in tandem, like at exactly the same time? It sounded like that was perfectly in unison. That was so good. Cleaning, someone said. You know, I wish... I have to do the cleaning, but it's not really, it's how dirty is dirty, really? I mean, it's like, there's no, no animals have wandered through our house or whatever. I mean, it's like, 
It's dirty, but it's, you know, okay, good. Yeah, what else? Homework and chores, and what else your mom makes you do? Laundry, there you go, good. Homework and chores, anything else? What's that? Walking the dog, the torturous life you lead. Man, there are people that pray for you after the service. You want to come forward? What else? Someone besides a high school student. (laughs) What? Paying bills. Just the process of paying them, watching your money go to something not fun. Like, we get to turn the lights on again this week, guys. (laughs) I paid for that. Isn't that fun? Good. What else? Cooking dinner. Yes. I mean, really, how, how obnoxious is that that we should have to prepare our food? It should just be prepared for us. Yes. Good. Uh, I, I have, for me, I was, I, today, I had, I'll just confession, I had to, um, and this is typically a guy thing. Women don't have the same tolerance for this that guys do. One of them is like that, I, I had to throw the coffee grinds away from our coffee maker into the trash, and of course the trash was like, I would say it was just barely above level, you know, like the meniscus of the, you know, like that little bubble of water when you're doing the test tube when you're a kid. It's like, it's just barely holding on to the top, and I'm like, I'm not taking that out. So I pull it out and like repeatedly punch the trash. I would rather put my hands on the trash itself than take it outside. For some reason, that makes more sense to me to do that. And then when my 10-year-old son came downstairs and he threw something away, I was like, oh, really? We're just, we're just going to leave the trash like that? We don't? You're born in a barn? I mean, why don't you just take that outside like it's supposed to go? Oh, gosh, it's disgraceful. Uh, you know, no, I didn't say that. I mean, I, I did say it, but not quite as... No, I said it exactly like that. Let's be honest. <laughs> People talk about laundry. You know, laundry, for most people, you know, guys, again, this is kind of a guy thing. For most people, laundry is clean or dirty. For most guys, it's, there's many, many, many shades and grades of between <laughs> clean and dirty. It's not like I wore it once and then passes over to dirty. It's like, yeah, it's probably fine. I could probably wear that again. There are things that are folded and un- most things are not folded and they're just sort of in a pile. And there's a nice, si- we have a system. It's just like, if, if I'm offensive to you, I wear it to the gym. If, it, if I, you know, I wear it to walk the dog, the cursed thing we have to do. Or, I, you know, I, if it's not, if it's just kind of like, maybe it was a little bit of a stain, but you can't notice it, I'll probably wear it to work again a couple more times. I mean, that's kind of the way guys operate. But all of us, the reason why we kind of do that, we all kind of look at these things we have to do, whether it's, you know, paying taxes or jury duty or going to the DMV or whatever else it is. We look at those things and immediately upon having to do those things, we try to find a way to get out of them. Like, oh, you have to do this. Uh, well, there's got to be some kind of escape clause because there's no way I absolutely, like, again, there's some way I, ha- I can avoid this. There has to be a way I can avoid doing this because I don't want to do it. And basically, that's the understanding that a number of people have about Jesus and about the, whatever the Bible's talking about. They kind of go, well, there's all these series of obligations that are kind of there for me. And it, really, the faithful people are generally people who have, you know, endured these reluctant, they reluctantly endured these kind of obligations because they love Jesus. But that's basically the Bible and Jesus is essentially about, I want you to do things you don't want to do and not do things you'd rather be doing. And the only people who kind of get on board with that are people who are like, well, I just, I really love Jesus, but I really hate my life. I mean, it's kind of the way it kind of, kind of comes across. And it completely misses the whole point of what the Bible is all about. It completely misses the point of what Jesus is all about. Because he doesn't simply say, there's a lot of really hateful things you've got to do, things that are really obnoxious and awful that you should do. You'll probably hate them. Because if that was the case, everybody would be looking for a way to escape it. You'd just simply be looking at a way to get out of it. Now, Jesus has this famous conversation with a guy in the, this is a teacher of the law, an expert in the law, in Luke chapter 10. It's a famous story called the Good Samaritan, and here's how it starts. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, 
what's happening here is the, the teacher is asking Jesus, through which lens do you read the scripture? I mean, how are you reading all of the Hebrew Bible? What does it look like to you? How are you seeing it? What do you, what, there's lots of different interpretation at this time. Generally, there's two schools. One, you know, just to let you know, but basically there's, he's basically saying, to which school do you belong is what the, the teacher of the law is asking. Now, so he's asking the question, not simply, you know, how do I get to heaven when I die? Sometimes it gets interpreted like this teacher is going, Jesus, I want to know how I go to heaven when I die. Let me give you just a little bit of a, let me put a little point around that. It's not just simply that. How do I get to heaven when I die? That's not necessarily the question. The question is, how do I participate in the eternal kind of life, the life that God has already given me or is put before me in this life and in the next? How do I participate in that life now, the eternal kind of life? The book of John often refers to that as like the abundant life. You might have heard that before. You have this expression, how do I inherit this kind of eternal kind of life? So then Jesus, of course, as he always does, turns it around on that guy and says, well, what do you think? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Now Jesus is then saying, so the guy asked Jesus, how do you read the Bible? And then Jesus immediately says, well, how do you read it? Which you can, now there's this tennis match going, you know, how do you, I don't know, how do you read it? You know, whatever, back and forth, right? Now then here's what the guy says. He answered. Here's the lens through which this guy, this expert in the law, reads the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. This comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. He's gone, this is kind of a big deal. We all say this every day. It's part of our prayer language we do every morning. So love the Lord your God. The second thing he says, and love the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is traditionally referred to as the great commandment. It's in two parts. You see it in a bunch of parts of, of Jesus' ministry. But this is the great commandment. Two parts. Got to love God and love other people, and they're necessarily bound together. Now, the guy is asking Jesus how he reads the Bible. Jesus turns it around back on him and says, how do you read it? And the guy says, well, love God and love other people. To which Jesus answers, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, that sounds like this is the end of the discussion. Okay, we're done. You did that right. Thank you for your question. Next person. It looks like it's over. There's a way in which you should live. Oops, shoot, jumped ahead. There's a way in which you should live, and now you've answered how you're supposed to live. But the, but the conversation isn't quite over, and so what happens is this guy then looks over, look, begins to have something happen in his own heart. Luke records it this way. But he wanted to justify himself. What this says is, I have heard these commandments, or the commandment, which is in two parts. I've heard this commandment. I get that it makes sense, but there's probably some area of my life where it hasn't been fully extended out, and I want to know that I'm still okay. The word justify literally translates to make himself righteous. He wants to know that I'm still one of the good guys. Like, okay, so we're supposed to love God and love other people. That's awesome, but I just want to make sure, because I've probably neglected a few people, I just want to know how far this goes. In some ways, what he's asking is, how far can my unlove go? Or what are the outer limits of loving my neighbor? Because I'm not too sure I like that idea. So here's what Jesus says, continuing on. I want to justify himself so Jesus, and ask Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because that's really the question. Okay, I get loving God. The second part of it, the way that this loving God thing is kind of expressed is the way I love my neighbor. What he's asking then is, are there people who don't, qualify as my neighbor are there people who i get to say you're not my neighbor and you don't get to be loved because what he's saying is there are people in my life whom i don't love like a neighbor that's cool right that's what he's asking 
Is it okay that I don't love these people in that way? Now, so he asked, how, do I ma- how am I going to make myself righteous? Now, truthfully, in, in this time, the answer to the neighbor question, one school of thought, the answer was simply this. A righteous Jew. Someone who's a righteous Jew. Now, you have to understand, the person is trying to righteousify, justify, he's trying to make himself righteous in front of Jesus. He wants to know if he's one of the good guys so that other people will treat him like a neighbor. Because there's a school of thought that says anybody who's a righteous Jew, you should treat them like a neighbor. And Jesus is going to go and kind of go, oh, are you sure? Because right now what he's saying is, am I good enough to be treated like a neighbor? And are there people who are not good enough to be treated like neighbors also? So Jesus, as he so often does, he tells a story to answer the question. Here's what he says. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So the guy asks, who's my neighbor? I'm going to justify himself. And Jesus launches into a story about a guy who's walking down a road. This road's called the Jericho Road. Um, This road is a, um, it's not much more than like a hiking trail. Like, you know, we kind of imagine that there's this sort of giant amount of, like giant amount of space. It's a hiking trail, just to give you a sense of what this looks like. Now, people who walk from Jerusalem to Jericho, this, this is a 17-mile journey. The journey is often called the, the Path of Blood because there's so much robbery that takes place on there. Now, this man's attacked, and I want you to notice something really important, which is right here, this. He is half dead. Half dead. It's really important. He could have said he's half alive or barely living, but Jesus describes him as half dead. Fans of uh, Princess Bride will know this as mostly dead, right? Some of you guys remember that. Now, He's mostly dead, which means there he is on the side of the road. He's been stripped of his clothes, everything that's of value to him. He's been there, stuck, and he's half dead. And it matters that Jesus uses this word because it's going to come up in a second here. It's an important detail. So there's this man coming down, presumably from worship, but we don't know whether he's a Jew. We don't know what, what kind of race he is. We don't know anything about this man because all the identifying markers of him have been stolen, and he's half dead. So then, here's what happened. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Remember, this is not a giant road. It's not like it's, not like it's the size of both of these rooms. You know, it's not like it's a huge, it's like, I'm here, I'm on this side. There's someone I don't want to be around. I'm on this side. It's not like it's a giant road. So there's this, there's no real way you could say I didn't see him. I was the, he just like, he went to the other side of the road, which means he was just a few feet from him. Uh, then verse 32, so a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him passed by on the other side. So here's what you have to know. Priests have clear, they have temple duties, their responsibility to be in the temple, to do things. That temple is in Jerusalem. Before they go to the temple, they spend about a week purifying themselves, getting ready for their two-week service in the temple. So too the Levites, who also take care of the temple, different responsibilities in the temple, but they take care of the care and maintenance of the temple to make it holy. Now both of these guys walk by this guy who is half dead. Now it's not totally clear from the story whether they were going to the temple or they were from the temple. If they're coming from the temple, they've been away from their families for two weeks. They're walking down this path of blood, this 17-mile journey to get home. If they're walking to the temple, it means that they've already spent some time preparing themselves to do the work that God has called them in the temple. But there's a problem because this guy's half dead. Look what it says in the book of Numbers. Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. 
if they fail to purify themselves, which takes a week long, that's in verse 12, after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle. This is another word for tent or tent of meeting or in the time now, because this is before they had a temple. It's a temple. They will defile the Lord's temple and they must be cut off from Israel, which means they can't do their job. The Levite and the priest can't do their job if they touch someone who happens to die. So what they're, they look at this man who is half dead, mostly dead, right? And they go, what happens if we're taking care of him and he dies on the way to the, you know, somewhere in transit? Then we can't do our job. And we still have to go to the temple and clean ourselves off for, for a week. So just put, their, put yourselves in their shoes here. They've either already done their sacred duty by being at the temple, both of them, and now they've, had their, they've been away from their families and they're walking back home and they see this guy, which means if they touch him and he dies, then they have to go all the way back to the temple to be purified for a week's long process. Or if they're on their way to the temple, they don't get to do the job God called them to do, which means they can justify not helping this person because it's their holy responsibility that they're taking care of. They have a justification for not helping this person. Because that's kind of, if you look at our own life, that's part of our own journey towards a lot of these things, which is, man, I really would help someone, but I have some really important things that I got to take care of and people I got to be around and I just don't have the time or the money or whatever it is. I got to do these kinds of things to which Jesus says, this is, there's these very righteous Jews, priests and Levites, who can't help because they have a holy obligation. They can be unkind because they're holy. Weird, right? Verse 33, but a Samaritan. Now, in the traditional telling of this kind of story where three people come by like this, the belief was, the sort of cultural understanding was that the next person would be just a regular Jew, like a regular Jewish male would come by, a, a guy would walk by. But in this case, Jesus twists a common story. He says, no, 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 it's not a regular Jew, it's a Samaritan. Samaritans are the most hated people. Jesus is, Jesus is actually, his accusers, actually as a way to like trying to get mad at him, call him a Samaritan. Like, you're like a Samaritan. You know, like that's, they kind of say that to him. It is a disgusting human being by the, in the mind of a Jew. This is a person who intermarried with an invading army. They have, a, they have a cult version, a twisted heretical version of the Hebrew Bible that they've adopted. They have a different holy place. They have different practices. They have different things. They don't, they don't honor all of the Hebrew Bible, only the first five books of it. That's it. And even then, they kind of mess with it a little bit. And so, this person, there's even a saying in, in Jewish culture at the time that says, the one who eats the bread of a Samaritan, it's as if he eats the flesh of the swine. I mean, it's like they are disgusting human beings who are incapable of anything good. And clearly, if there was ever a person to be beyond the bounds of neighbor, it's a Samaritan. He continues on. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now remember this, this, this scenario here. This is a guy who we can't identify whether he, which kind of race or people to whom he belongs. But the Samaritan picks him up and puts him on a donkey. Now when he does that, you have to imagine the, the act of humility this is required to do. I have a donkey. You know, he's like, I got a donkey, and now I'm walking my donkey with a dead guy, half dead, mostly dead, slumped over the side of him. And you have to imagine if that guy happens to be a Jew, as he's walking down to go to this inn to be taken care of, you have to imagine the scenario. If someone who's a Jew identifies him as a Jew and there's a Samaritan walking him, a guy who is beat up and half dead, it's as if the same scenario would be like this. It's like in a cowboy movie. Just imagine that for a second. A, I mean, a, poor, a totally politically incorrect cowboy movie from, you know, whatever. Just imagine that for a moment. 
And imagine that there's then a cowboy shot full of arrows and an Indian there is standing over him saying, I'm here to help this person. And he walks into a town. The people will go, yeah, sure you're here to help him. You shot him. We know you did. There's no, there's not a lot of like, oh, I see how you're helping a person. There's no belief that this would happen. So this is the story Jesus is describing. Then this, even one step further. The next day he took out two denarii, which is two days pay, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Meaning, take care of him, whatever it takes. Here's an advance on the taking care of this person. If anything else happens to him, let me know and I'll come back and I will repay all of it. So you have this person at great expense of their own time, at great personal expense of their own money, and their own, their own, their own ability to go out of their own way with their resources. Whatever it is, they get all excited about it and they do it. Jesus is telling a story about a person that people believed was incapable of good. And now you have this person who's doing unbelievable, over-the-top, crazy generosity and mercy. You see, there's this Samaritan who's putting himself at risk too. I mean, if the guy died, he'd have to go to his own temple and do the same kind of cleansing and all whatever that stuff is. But there's this guy with this, who's got this cult belief, who's a disgusting person, who is now being held up at something. There's some pretty extreme compassion. Then here's what Jesus says to the man, the teacher of the law. Which of, these things, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now, he's asking the guy, who do you think acted like a neighbor? And the guy has this moment, for those of you guys who are it's like Seinfeld fans, you know how he just, whenever he runs into Newman, he always just goes, Newman. Like, right, you know what I'm talking about? This is that moment. Only it's even worse, because look how this guy responds. The expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He can't even say his name hey who's the one who had mercy on him i mean who's the who's the one who acted like a neighbor the one who had mercy on him newman i mean it's that same thing right this is what's happening the guy the guy does not even want to answer the question who had mercy who was a neighbor the one who had mercy? he doesn't he doesn't even want to answer the question because it's inconceivable that a samaritan could be someone who could act neighborly now remember the question he's being asked isn't how am I supposed to do the right thing? To what things am I being obligated? That's not the question he's asking. He asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't just give him an example of someone who could be, he doesn't just list off the people who could be his neighbors. Well, these people of different races, these people of different religious beliefs, these are people of different, um, you know, kind of family backgrounds or whatever else it is or you know, incomes or whatever, jobs. or what, He doesn't list a bunch of people. What he does is he takes an example of the person who would never have to be a neighbor because they're so absurd, they're horrible people, these Samaritans. And he says, look at this guy acting like a righteous person, meaning it's not just a righteous Jew it's, who's a neighbor. It's everybody is a neighbor. Everybody's worthy of a kind of love that you have already received. Everybody gets to, is deserving of a kind of an outrageous mercy and generosity. That's everybody. Because he concludes this whole story with this. Jesus told them, go and do likewise. You have to imagine how offensive this is. Go and be like the Samaritan. Go and be like a person who is this disgusting creature who has done all the... Uh, go and do likewise. That's what you're telling me to do? Yeah, be like that. Who's my neighbor? wanting to justify himself, figures out that the bounds of neighborliness go really far and that every single person is worthy of being treated with dignity. 
and generosity and mercy. It turns out there's no limit to our neighborliness. You know, it's sort of this interesting deal that I would say in, in so many ways, generosity, mercy, neighborliness, as we wrap up the series about loving where we live, is always evidenced in mercy and courageous generosity. And it is not because it's an obligation. It's because people see it as an opportunity. If it's an obligation, we will look for a loophole and an escape clause. We'll find a way out. If we see it as an opportunity, there is such an opportunity for great joy. Now, I told you, the, that was just the prelude to what you're about to get from Maher, okay? So would you welcome Maher up to the stage? She's going to give us something to think about in the coolest way. Do it, buddy. You're awesome. Thank you, Jeff. Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be together with you on Outreach Weekend. Uh, this, is, this is my favorite weekend, and, and I'm so excited for what God has for us uh, in this season for our church. You know, God has called our church to be in the community for the community. And this past year, we have seen some beautiful stories unfold. Whether it's our homeless ministry gatherings, where we've seen mentally ill men and, and addicts stand up and say yes to Jesus uh, and begin their journey of recovery. Or our Mexico ministry, uh, where, where recently we, we began to build church number 23 of Pastor Daniel's, uh, Pastor Daniel's uh, network uh, in the town of Antorchista. Or, uh, and and where, where, people, where thousands of people will begin to hear about Jesus and the community will begin to be transformed. And then our partnership with, with Families Forward, where, where thousands of at-risk families will move from vulnerability to stability through housing, food, counseling, and education. Just listen to, to one of uh, the testimonies of, of a woman uh, named Gloria, a single mom who was struggling. She says, I've never had a mom or dad who were capable of teaching me about living independently or helping me to overcome difficulty when it arises. In a couple of weeks, I will be 43 years old, and I, can, and I finally am able to say I'm a big girl. I can handle life successfully. I'm so grateful, and even though I am having to face some obstacles right now, I have never felt so safe and comfortable in my whole life. I am truly home indeed. Beautiful story. What about our, our Love the Elderly ministry where we get to spend time with those that are in a way have been put away and, and, and have been forgotten about? We get to, we get to join them and, and, uh, for a, a tea party, uh, hang out, and, and hear a lifetime worth of stories and wisdom from them. And then finally, our partnership with Viejo Elementary. And it all started with, with Serve Day where we all came together with our families and their families and beautified a school together. And most recently, the Harvest Carnival, where, where a community came together and loved where it lived. Now, these are some beautiful stories that are unfolding. But I want us to take a step back and, and, and see the bigger picture. There's something greater taking place here. When you look at the first century church, everyone came together and none of them were in need. I truly believe that the church can once again be the most inclusive place in the world 
and it could do that through outreach in the community. My desire is that no one would be left out. And for me, this runs to the core of who I am. A few years ago, I found myself sitting at a dining room table, and at each side of me were two Muslim seminary grads that were trying to reconvert me back to Islam because a few months earlier, <laughs> a few months earlier, I had, I had committed my life to Christ. And I remember my dad just standing up just beginning to yell at me, just with such anger and just saying, Maher, listen to what these people have to say. They're going to save your life. And as I continued to refuse, he lost it. And instead of coming around the table, he ran straight at me and jumped on top of the table, dove into me, and just began... just began to punch me and kick me, hit me with whatever he can get his hands on. My mom comes beside me after they pull him off me, and she sees my Bible on the ground. She picks it up, looks at it, says, I hate this thing, and she throws it into the living room. I run after my Bible, and me and my dad get into a wrestle, and he strikes me again, and I fall to the ground on my hands and knees. And as I crawl away, the pages of my Bible are being ripped and are falling to the ground. That day I was kicked out of my house and I lost everything. Lost my family, my friends, my career. But the church opened up its doors to me and took me in, gave me a job. When a few months earlier, I had been attacking the church, trying to, reconvert, trying to convert people to Islam. The world had discarded me, but the church came around me. Time and time again, the world has rejected us all, has left us out and forgotten about us. But Jesus picks us up through his church and gives us an identity in him. We all have been that guy lying in the street at one time or another in our life. So, what are we going to do? What does it look like for us to do the same? Well, of course, you guys have seen the patio. And... You'll have an opportunity to grab a food bag and fill it and bring it back. Inside it, there's a list with instructions in it. You also will see tags out there for, for Christmas gifts, for kids that otherwise would not have a gift this season. And finally, in your bulletin, there's this card that has different opportunities that you can serve with us this season.
But God is calling us to more. And I think we're up to the challenge. I know we're up to the challenge. I've seen the generosity of this church. And just to warn you, 9 o'clock service took about 80% of the tags and bags. So uh, we'll have some more next week if we run out. Uh, uh, And then uh, feel free to take a food list and uh, use your own bags. So (laughs) So, (laughs) thank you, 9 o'clock. But like I said, God is calling us to more. And from from this stage, over and over again, you have heard us talk about biblical hospitality. And we all know biblical hospitality is not inviting your friends over and just expecting an invitation in return. But biblical hospitality is inviting the stranger, welcoming the stranger, the left out one, and not expecting them to pay it back. What does it look like for us to welcome the stranger? Well, I'd love for you to hear Bailey's story. We just had, as a married couple, a desire to be in ministry together. And we were both doing things in our church individually, but had a desire to just be serving. So we kind of just started looking at what would it look like here and looked through different things and kept hearing about safe families over and over again. And I was pretty sure Sean would say no because we had been married for about two months. One of the things that helped us in saying yes to safe families was that it didn't have to be this long-term thing. There were needs in our community that were just for a weekend, needs in our community that are overnight. So it was really just about helping when we could and being a part of this when it was something that we had space to say yes to. First got the call about a need for Karina's children on Easter and we're sitting in service and I looked at my phone and had a message about this need in our community. So we said yes to hosting the kids. When I got um, separated, I lost everything. I lost furniture, I lost my apartment, car, everything. So when I got connected to Safe Families, I told him that my goal was three months. In three months, I had to accomplish to find a job, had a place for my kids, and buy them everything that they needed. When we started caring for her kids, we were going to the park and visiting with her and beginning this journey of me really encouraging her in the things that she needed to accomplish to be back with the kids and just daily conversations of how they were doing and where she was at. And she has helped me a lot with my kids. I have been working day and night. In those three months, I accomplished everything. And if it wasn't for Bailey or for other families that have helped me, my kids wouldn't be with me right now. I would have lost custody of them. We thought that we were just going to be giving stuff to people, that we were just going to be opening our home and, and giving back to our community. And it wasn't just about us giving of ourselves and our time. It was really about what we were going to learn and what we were going to get in that experience as well. And that was learning how to have a dependence on God and what that would look like and strengthening our faith and strengthening our marriage in that way was the biggest gift that we received from that experience. Well, the biggest thing that I'm grateful for is that 
Kar was making an Emmy town. What a beautiful story. I want you guys to know that in Orange County alone, over 30,000 families call crisis hotlines, of which only about 1,500 of them actually receive services. What if we could stop child abuse before it starts? What if single moms were connected to support instead of being socially isolated? What if a family's safety net was their neighborhood and their neighbors instead of the government? What if children were protected during crisis without being permanently separated from their mom and dad? This is what God is calling our church to. I want us to become a safe family's church. And we get to do that in two ways. One, you could, be, you could become a host family. You can open up your home and your family to a child in need and have them stay with you for a short period of time. Now, I know for some of you this is a possibility, but you're thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I want to assure you that many that have gone before you have said the same exact thing, just as Bailey and her husband did. For the rest of us that might not be able to host a child at this time, we need to create a support system around these host families. Host families without a support system cannot succeed. So for the rest of us, I invite you to, to become what we call a family friend. And there are a variety of ways you can get involved. Whether you, you uh, help with babysitting or help with transportation or tutor a child or help mentor a parent, donate your furniture or clothing or provide meals, donate diapers and wipes or a gift card. There is a safe families team outside waiting to receive each and every one of you to help you sign up in this way. Join me in this. Join us in this. Thank you very much, guys. Okay. So, real quickly, first of all, can we not acknowledge that my hair is a very sharp dresser who chooses his clothes very wisely? Very sharp. All right. Um, okay, so stay up here. Stay up here. Okay, we're going to talk about a couple things. You've heard this already. We talked about these bags. Our, our church, by, by the way, you, everybody knows when people ask you, like, is your church going to do anything for, like, are you guys going to do food things, whatever? Like, they expect you to do this. Like, you kind of have to. Everybody you work with is going to be like, you know, you're not giving the grocery thing, or you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm doing that. So you're, that's that. Because obviously you do that already. And the other thing is, are you giving gifts to kids? Yeah, we're doing that too. That's like the minimum. And everybody, our, our church notoriously, I'm not notoriously, famously, it's like it's a bad thing, famously <laughs> has been great about nine o'clock notorious for taking more than they should have. That's what I should have said. <laughs> They're just overly, going to get a little crazy with the generosity thing. But they took too many, so you're going to have to fight it out out there for who's going to get these things, and we'll have more next week. But you want to be a part of that. It's very fun as we bring all, all, the, all the stuff will come back here. There'll be a team that gets to separate all those, all the, uh, the grocery stuff and everything. So it's very cool. But I want to tell you about another thing. All of this stuff, this heart of our church towards those who are poor and those who are in the margin, all of the stuff that Maher is, you know, responsible for is funded by generosity that, that comes from you that's above and beyond what you are already generous about, what you already give. So I want to tell you what that looks like. So here, the old school thing is this. In a second, if you've been with us, it maybe for, it's been a pretty long time, but every once in a great while, we will pass a bucket for an offering. 
I know that's like some of you are like, well, that, we haven't done that in 100 years. I know. Church is only four years old. Crazy. But uh, pass, we pass a bucket. And the, some of you guys who write checks, this is the old school thing. You know, you're like, write checks. It's still you go everywhere with your checkbook and you're a check person and that's cool. And, you know, that's a, that's a world I gave up a few years ago. Um, but for some of you, you're like, I, I want to, and you're going to you fill out a check and put it in an envelope. That's why there's two envelopes in your bulletin. You can put it in the envelope. Others of you are like, look, I don't have a check I would give. I don't have any. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of what my hair is doing. But I do have a smartphone. So here's what I want you to do. If you have a phone that's smarter than your average phone, take it out right now. I'm going to put a slide on the screen. So I'm going to show you how to do this, okay? Some of you are like, I'm not taking my phone out. What's going to happen? Now, to that number, 77977, text the word Mariners MV. Now, some of you are like, and you're thinking, we're just going to automatically withdraw money from you. That's not how it works. We're like, oh, great. That person texted us, and now all of a sudden, we're just going to take $10,000. Oh, too bad. Thank you for your generosity. That was so fun. Okay, no, that's not what we're going to do, okay? You are in control of everything. It's just a digital way to give, okay? So then what will happen is this. You'll set up a one-time recurring gift. It'll just, you can, if you're like, I want to be a part of what the stuff that my hair is overseeing all the time, ongoing, whatever, I want to be a part of that, not just one time. You could set it up annually. You could set it up like once a year on this day, I will give whatever money you want. Or you could set it up weekly or whatever. Um, you could set it up, you know, one time, whatever. From the drop-down menu, select outreach. I think it's already defaulted to outreach. Did anybody send their number there yet? Did anybody get their, their text message back? Anybody do it? Okay, someone do it because you got to do it right now. Someone do it. You did it? What did it say back to you? Thank you for your generosity. That's what you get a text message from a robot that says, thank you for your generosity. <laughs> is that so great? So then what will happen is you complete the process. Completing the process means you've put it on your, your credit card or your debit card or whatever. And then you're just set up to give how, whenever you want, however you want to give. And it funds the kind of stuff my hair is talking about. And so on the patio in a little bit, we're going to get a chance to respond by going to do these different things. Our ushers are going to come forward. Now you guys can come forward. And they're going to pass a, a bucket. And we're going to pray for this offering. So let's do this. Let's pray together. We're going to respond together in worship and in song like we always do with great joy and with, with you know, enthusiasm. And then we'll hang out on the patio and we'll talk about more generosity. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that you have called us to something bigger than ourselves. That it is not simply that we are, um, we're called to sort of protect our own lives or those that we are already know and love. But Father, that you are expanding our love. You are growing the love in our own hearts toward the people we don't yet know. Might you take the generosity of the people in this room and whatever method they choose to give, whether it's by time or by their money or by their, by their own um, compassion, Jesus, would you multiply it in ways that we can't even possibly fathom? Father, would you receive this offering, a joy offering, a gift of generosity that comes not out of obligation but out of opportunity. So, Father, we take this opportunity to honor you and the work that you've called us to, this great, incredible, exciting cause of being connected to you and helping people understand this great love and generosity through us. And so, Lord, receive our offering and our gift as a gift of joy and expectation, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.